end. The scripture says there was a certain man named Elkanah, and he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Father, again, we thank you for how your word will instruct us. And Lord, as we look at Hannah today, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom of of what we need to learn from her life, from Samuel's life, from this entire incident in Scripture. Father, again, we thank you that today is a day that we remember mothers, families, just the whole family unit is so critical, and yet, Lord, we know that for many, their family experience has not been a blessing. And I pray that you would... Help each one of us to know as we are believers in Jesus Christ and as we have been brought into your family, as you are our Father, and that your family is so much different than so many earthly families. Again, Father, we thank you that we can even call you Father, that indeed you truly care and love us, that you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, to become our sin-bearer, That through his sacrifice, we can be saved. We can be brought into your family as forgiven ones. We are secure and look forward to someday being with you in heaven. Lord, always draw us back to those realities, even though earthly realities may be very difficult. We want to have hope, and hope is only found in you. Father, help us to be the men and the women the husband, the wives, the fathers, and the mothers that we need to be. So we ask that you'd give us wisdom as we look at this passage. If there are areas that we need to change, that we would be teachable and ready to confess so that we can move on as you would have us. Just guide us for your honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a biographer, Ida Tarbell, and on her 80th birthday, someone asked her to name the greatest person she had ever met. She was a journalist. She responded, the greatest persons I have ever met are those nobody knows anything about. I think that's pretty insightful. Then the New York Times asked a uh, women's group, a women's club really, just as an informal way of saying, name us the 12 greatest women in the United States. And after much consideration, they replied, the greatest women in the United States have never never been heard outside of their own homes. Ilian Jones of the Times wrote, I ask you, who was greater, Thomas A. Edison or his mother? When he was a young lad, the teacher sent him home with a note which read, Your child is dumb. We cannot do anything with him. Mrs. Edison wrote back, You do not understand my boy. I will teach him myself. And Edison went on to become one of the most prolific inventors of all time. In fact, he holds 1,093 U.S. patents plus unbelievable more outside of the United States. 
He was the one that came up with the phonograph, motion picture camera, and obviously the light bulb. He's dumb. Thank, thank the Lord for mothers. And some time ago, President Woodrow Wilson, almost 100 years ago in 1914, proclaimed the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. Why? Because to publicly express appreciation for our mothers. Now, by the way, it is Mother's Day, and I, I wish you a happy Mother's Day. I hope you are very blessed today as mothers. I hope, you're, I hope your children call you. Children, thank them. How many of you have not yet thanked your mother's mother for now? Well, you can do that later. If, if your mother is alive, you need to call her. Slap my hand because years ago I'd forget on Mother's Day. I already called my mom. I called her last night. I said, because I get busy on Sunday, I'm going to call you today. But, um, but again, let's, let's also put it in perspective. It is not only Mother's Day, but this is the Lord's Day. So we thank the Lord of how he works in mothers. And so if, it's like uh, Abraham Lincoln said, no one is poor who had a godly mother. And I don't know where you stand on that. Did you have a godly mother? Okay, we're going to talk about this. We're going to be looking at women of faith, actually. You want to get out your outline. There's five simple points there. Now, again, it's not mothers of faith. I actually chose the idea of women of faith. Some of you aren't mothers. Some of you are past childbearing years and will never be a mother. Maybe you chose not to be a mother, and whatever, whatever. But this is not only a Mother's Day message. This is a, for women, a women of faith. By the way, these principles also apply to us as men, okay? So it's not just for uh, females, it's also for males. But again, we're going to be looking at women of faith. Women of faith. And it's found out of 1 Samuel chapter 1 and also chapter 2. The first one is this. Women of faith endure real problems. Again, it's easy to think that heroes in the Bible were somehow different than we are. I think we think that a lot of times. Think of Paul, you think of Moses, you know. Yeah, we know some of their problems, but, but it's not true. <clears throat> we might think that it's tough to relate to them because their lives were so perfect and their culture was so different than ours. But again, actually the Bible is filled with real people, with real problems, who handled it with real faith. And we find this with Hannah. She had real problems. Look at verse 1. She had a husband, Elkanah, and he seemed to be a very, very good man. Again, he seems to be spiritually devoted. He would offer, verse 3, and go up to Shiloh. I mean, in other words, he was religious. I believe he was godly. He cared about his wife. Actually, we're going to find out wives, and we're going to see that in a moment. But he even gave a double portion to Hannah, verse 4. I mean, I think he was a caring, loving husband. And again, he had two wives. One was Hannah, one was Panah. Again, Panah had children. Hannah had no children. Now think about that. Hannah had no children. Now, first of all, you may say, well, wait a second, you were seeing polygamy. And let me quote it, let me say it this way. The Old Testament supported one man for one woman, Genesis 2.24. In fact, that's the only verse I usually, I say usually, once in a while I'll have someone else memorize. But like premarital, well, memorize Genesis 2.24 for this cause. Shall man leave his father and mother? Shall, be, shall cleave to his wife, and the two will be one flesh, right? I mean, that's such a critical passage, and that passage is talking about one man for one woman. I mean, my feeling is, how could I ever have one more than that anyways? I can't. But the point is, is that is the biblical model. Do you want to say anything, honey? 
But it also provides, the law tolerated but never endorsed polygamy. It also provided for that if the woman could not provide a child, you could marry a second for that purpose, for the child, for the children. So, apparently what it is, is Hannah was the first wife, could not have children, and he marries a second time. But she was childless. <clears throat> Again, verse 2, had no children. Again, one of the chief roles for a wife in the days, in these days, in, this, in the day that this was written, was to have children. A barren womb was considered a curse, according to Deuteronomy 28, verse 18. And Hannah would have been looked down upon. Now think about her. I just want you to, because we're looking at a, a, a woman who has problems. You're going to see at the very end of the message how she responded through this entire process. But it wasn't like she was perfect. It's not like we go through life perfect, like we have problems and trials and hurts, and we always respond perfectly. She was spiritually troubled, socially disgraced, and emotionally depressed at times. You see that in the text. But she joins a long line of other women of faith who battle barrenness as well. Think about Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel. Think about Ruth, Elizabeth. I mean, there are a number of times where it says they were advanced in years before they had their children. Well, during those times, there was this question. And again, this is a, even this is a, a, a main issue because when it came to the Bible, for a Hebrew woman to, who was barren meant there was no promise that she, that she would have no blessing, no inheritance to the Messianic line. I mean, this was huge. I was looking up some statistics. I think these came out about six, eight years ago, but it's interesting. One in six couples struggle with infertility even today. And one in four couples struggle if you're over the age of 35. So if you get married and you want children, start having them, because as you approach 30s, it becomes less and less possible. So think about Hannah on Mother's Day. It wouldn't have been a blessing. It would have been very, very painful. And, and to make things even worse, look at verse 5. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, for he loved Hannah, talking about her husband, although the Lord had closed her womb. So the pain is not coming from another person or even pointing to herself. It had come from the Lord. Look at verse 6. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. I mean, it's one thing to say, well, you know, I did certain things and, and I am just dealing with the consequences of my own sin. But it's another thing to say, this is how I was born. And, and really it goes back to the Lord. It's the Lord that closed the womb. Genesis chapter 30, verse 2, it says, And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. This is when Rachel could not have her children at first. And he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So Jacob knew, listen, it's not me. <laughs> I'm doing everything right. But it's the Lord. It's, it's, it's in the Lord's hands. To say it another way, the problem that Hannah was experiencing came, again, directly from the Lord. This is a hard lesson to learn. I don't know what you're struggling with, and I'm not just talking about barrenness here, but what are you struggling with? 
And so many times, it's not a direct result of our sin. It's not because of something I did or even someone else. It's, it's maybe a health issue or whatever, but it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, that the Lord has allowed. I talked to my mom yesterday, and you know, many of you know my mom has a, um, um, a problem with her eyes. Her, uh, the muscles in her eyes close. So her eyes are fine, but her eyelids close. And if you ever talk to her, she'll be going like this, you know. She gets Botox shots, which kind of uh, kills the, I don't know how it does. It kills it, but then opens. So for a while, she opens. <laughs> and then if you catch her at the right time, before, just after she did Botox, and then close it. But then I was talking to her yesterday, and she said, well, I, I went to one of my first, uh, like, self-help groups, you know, like meeting some other people that deal with the same thing. And she said it was so encouraging just to see other people that are dealing with this, how they deal with it. You know, it was up in Buffalo. It was like a little three or four other people got together. And I, and I made the comment. I said, you know, that's the beauty of the church. We all work together. I mean, it's like we are a support to each other because we're all fellow strugglers. But then she said, and John, I found out this, I didn't realize this, that this is very much hereditary. <laughs> so if I start going like this. <laughs> See, we can take it when sometimes our problems are from Satan. And by the way, a lot of times they are. Or again, our own sinfulness or someone else. But know this, that whatever is happening in your life, God allows. You know? And so he, he allows the good and the hard. It's like Job chapter 2. It says, Shall we accept good from God and not trouble also? And some of you are going through those troubles. Some of you are enjoying life and it seems to be everything is smooth. I would say two things. Thank God for that. <laughs> and be sensitive to those around you who's, who are not enjoying that ease at the moment. Okay, Be a comfort and encouragement to others. That's how the body of Christ should look out. It's just like the body, as we looked at Romans 12 a few weeks ago. I mean, if I stub my toe, drop something on it, I'm not going to say, well, you're, you know, you're there, just deal with it. No, my hand and everything starts to minister to the body. Be, be sensitive. Weep with those who weep. Ecclesiastes says, put, um, it says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. Enjoy it. By the way, sometimes I have a hard time doing that. My wife always says that. Enjoy the day. Don't be trying to solve problems for the future. Just enjoy the moment. Yeah, you've got to solve the problems. But, but in the day of adversity, consider, surely God has appointed the one as well as the other. So if you're going through adversity at the moment, know that it comes from a, and I say it this way, from a heavenly Father who filters what we have to deal with, and He has appointed that as well for our good and for our spiritual benefit. Now, again, it doesn't mean that we, doesn't, we don't need each other. We need each other. But again, you know, thank the Lord, even in those times. It's hard. I, I don't even like saying it, because, you know, we always are tested. But we have to know that God loves us, and He filters. I love the idea of Father filtered. He filters whatever is in your life. He gives you just enough. He, he doesn't give you too much that you can't handle it. His grace is sufficient. Though sometimes you feel like you're just clawing up the mountain with your fingernails. Um, so, first, um, Hannah, this would have been a very tough day today, at this, at least this point in her life. And I don't know where you're at. Let's just take from a mother's child perspective. See, maybe your mother is no longer living, and Mother Day, Mother's Day brings up a lot of memories. But they're, some of them are good, and some of them are just, oh, I wish I could see her. I know I was talking to my grandfather. 
a week ago. And, and the way he looks at it is he said, you know, Johnny, I have so many good memories that they're a curse. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think, come on. Yes, we, we only live on this earth a short time, but I love good memories. Don't you? I do. I, so many good memories. I just wish I had known that when I, those memories were happening, they were so good. You know? And sometimes, by the way, our, our minds are faulty, our memories are faulty, so sometimes we project a lot better than it really was, you know, but that's another story. You know, maybe your mother is sick, and you wonder how much longer will she be here. So enjoy today. Make sure you reach out today. Make sure you say the things that you'd want to say today, today. Or maybe you didn't care much for your mother, and this whole thing is like an emotional turnoff. You don't understand, John. I didn't come from that type of family. In fact, I don't even want to think about that type of family because that was not my situation. When we talk about children, some of us, maybe you, we didn't. But maybe you lost a child prematurely, maybe before it was even born, and it just brings up hurts there. Or you're a mother who wished that you didn't have children. Unfortunately, in our day and age, it seems like there's more and more people like that. They didn't want you. You know, they're just a nuisance. Isn't that sad? That is so sad. They are such a blessing. Or like Hannah, you would give anything to have a child. Again, there are a lot of blessings associated with this today, but there could also be a lot of hurts. And I want to be, you know, sensitive. This story ends very well. All stories don't. And with her, it wasn't just that she was childless, but she had this other woman in the house. All right? If you go to verse 6, her rival, she taunted her. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. That's Panah. I mean, she just needled her. Apparently it came at certain times of the year, like when they would go up to offer and worship, and look at all that God has done, and yet look at you, Hannah, you have no child. We don't know how many this other lady had, but we do know that it was very intense. I mean, I looked at some of these words. When it says she provoked her severely, that's in the PL, which means in the intensive. She was after her. She was trying to bring Hannah down. And she did it specifically on the point that you have no children. The word miserable refers to being stirred up inwardly, and literally, it, the idea is this. Pana'a was trying to cause Hannah to get really angry and blow. And again, the, um, I mean, it's not like Hannah was just like, you know, like neutral to this, like just like iron emotions. It shows that she was weak. She wept. Uh, she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat, verse 7. So as, as this is happening, I mean, she's going through a lot of anguish, a lot of hurts. And every time that that other woman said something, it just drove the knife into the, into the heart. And now the husband comes along, and Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, verse 8, Why do you weep? That's a stupid question. You know, why do you not eat? Or why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Answer, no. 
Now again, he at least noticed her, 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 uh, his uh, wife, you know, hurting, which is more than a lot of men. You know, a lot of men would be saying, oh, whatever. You know, I don't know why she's weeping. You know, at least she, he asked her. But uh, again, sometimes as husbands, sometimes as men, we say some very foolish things, and it's hard. I mean. I know, like, for myself, as a pastor, you know, and as an elder, I have to, you know, and, and sometimes it's like I've just gotten to the point. Let me just tell you, if you're in leadership, you have to comfort somebody. Sometimes you have to walk away saying, you know, really, there's nothing I can really say. Maybe just be there, you know. And maybe you say something and it sounds wrong or maybe it isn't, and you know, and I think you just go with fear and trembling and say, you know, I'm here, I care. They may respond wrong. See, sometimes they'll respond wrong because it's not something you did wrong. It's just that their hearts are not aligned to what God is doing in their life. But I think it's better to do something than nothing. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So don't, I'm saying this as a point of encouragement and do something. It doesn't mean that you have to do something every day, but just do something. Um, And again, I think you get better at it. Well, he did something, and it really wasn't that good. But, you know, the point is, is you know, kind of pretty insensitive, you know. Like, why, why is all this? What's your problem? You know, I can see him saying, what's your problem? Why does she keep crying? Why does she always cry at night, you know? And not only was she misunderstood by her husband, needled by, you know, Panaa, but then, you know, she goes to uh, Shiloh to worship, and look at verse uh, 13. And this is Eli, and Hannah spoke in, in her heart, Notice, in her heart. But her lips were moving. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you, how long will you be drunk? <laughs> so she's misunderstood by, like, the spiritual leader, you know? Like, he doesn't even understand me. So, I mean, she's in a hard lot. Um, what can we learn from her life? Believers are not without problems. Okay? How many of you have problems at this very moment? If you, on a one to five that you would classify worst five. Anybody have five? How about four? Three and a half? Two. Well, some of you may have five. And, me, and I, I don't want to make light of it and, and you didn't raise it. But the reality is we all have problems. Now, some of us, we say we have problems, but they're really like a one. But some of you have problems and you're like in a four or five. I mean, you feel like you are just just barely hanging on with your fingertips, I would encourage you, don't keep it silent. Find a friend, find, you know, or your shepherding elder. And if he doesn't do anything, deal with another elder. You know, we are supposed to be a unit here. We're supposed to be a family. So don't let it go like if, well, nobody seemed to reach out to me. Um, Again, people have problems. Believers have problems. I think the other thing we see this, believers should not let others deter our trust in the Lord. You see that with Hannah. Even though husband misunderstood, other wife, you know, uh, is needling her, Eli doesn't understand. She still moves forward. She doesn't get bitter, angry, and, and walk away from God. She just keeps moving, trusting God, trusting God. And we need to do that. We need, because it says she continually went up to worship. See, when there was a time, because there was three times a year when you were supposed to go up to, to worship the Lord, she went. She was always faithful to do that. She didn't give up. I'm not going to church. I'm just going to walk away. You know, no, she kept her eyes focused on the Lord. So she had problems. Second thing is this. Women of faith express vibrant prayers. And I'm going to be hopping back and forth just to kind of put the whole story together. Verse 9. So Hannah rose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat 
by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was bit. Again, gives her this perspective. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Now think about that. She's praying and weeping. She's in anguish and praying. (laughs) Sometimes when we get in anguish and bitterness of soul and we get all hurt, you know what we do? We walk away from prayer. It's at the very moment we need prayer the most, we walk away from it. But she stays focused on the Lord. In verse 11, Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your mater. Now, notice how she refers to herself before God. As your maidservant, and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And as right vow, I'm going to give him back to you. This child is not for me, it's for you. Lord, but I'm looking at myself as your servant. I don't know what your virgin said, but maidservant, servant. In other words, really, the word slave. I'm doing your bidding, Lord. If you'll do it, it's just, Lord, I want to raise him for you. Verse 12, and it happened as she continued praying. See, women of faith express vibrant prayers. If you go over to uh, James, you don't have to go here, but in James chapter 1, isn't it interesting in James 1, Verse 2, very familiar passage. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and let patience have its perfect word. I mean, the whole trials, it produces endurance and maturity. But look at what verse 5 says. Trials, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. James says this. As you're going through trials, pray. As you're going through very, very difficult times, pray. Why? Because prayer puts us on dependence to God. So just like James would encourage us, and I've heard James 1.5, you know, let him ask and he'll have received wisdom. And, and so often I don't see it connected to verse 4. The whole point of that prayer is that you would get wisdom as you go through your trial. And that's exactly what you see with Hannah. She's going, she is in deep affliction. But... Verse 12, she continued to pray. Verse 15, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I mean, heavy, hard, severe. A lot of trials in my life. As he's talking to Eli. But I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Verse 16, out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken. The prayer came, she didn't get over her bitterness of soul. She didn't get over her grief. She just continued to pray. And it didn't, it didn't happen like the first, you know, first year. This just went on. I mean, some of you perhaps are in that bitterness. And not, not because of childlessness, but for some other. And sometimes when I go through hard, hurt times, it's like that's when I need to spend more time praying. And yet what is the, what, what, what happens so often? You walk away. You put the Bible down. You don't get up. You, because just the fact that you're so hurt and anguish of soul, you just kind of walk away from God. And yet that's where our strength is. Look at verse 11. Again, I'm just past. It was prayed out of conviction. She said this, verse 11. She made a vow and said, O Lord. Oh, wait a second. O Lord of hosts. That's important. That word, host. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant. If you, if you. O Lord of hosts. 
I was looking that up. The Lord of hosts means the old Almighty One, the NIV says. Hosts refers to the armies of heaven. In other words, you have the armies of heaven. Lord, I'm calling on you to be my protector. <laughs> In these very difficult times where I'm being misunderstood by the priest and I'm being hurt at home and, bis- and, and even my husband don't re- doesn't really understand me. Lord, you're my protector. You're the Lord of hosts. I'm giving myself to you. You'll fight my cause. Think of it in uh, war terms, soldier terms, you know, because that's how the Lord of hosts, you know, is like the Lord of hosts is the one that goes out and conquers the enemy. And for her, the enemy is, I don't mean the enemy is Panah, but I'm saying the enemy, well, but it says that she was like an adversary. But Lord, I'm going to trust you to fight for me. You're on my side. You're bigger than my problems. Yeah, I've got issues with people like this other woman, and I have issues with barrenness, circumstances, but I'm going to trust you. You're the Lord of hosts. You're the one that's fighting my cause. Is that how you look at it? Lord, you know, I've done it. I've tried. I've tried to put my life together in a certain way, and it just keeps falling apart. Lord, you're going to be my protector. I'm going to trust you. And so she makes a vow. By the way, Ecclesiastes says, don't make a vow if you don't intend to keep it. By the way, I would encourage you, and again, this is totally out of sight for here, but if you made a pledge, a promise, let's say uh, to pray for a missionary back in November and you've lost that, you need to confess and start doing it, right? Is that true? If you make a vow, before, I mean, if, and I say vow, and I, I look at vow or a promise, if you said, Lord, I want to do this, then you need to hold to it. It's so easy to to not hold to what we say, you know, what we have decided to do. But she says, listen, if you give me the son, I'll dedicate him to you. Having worked through years of barrenness and the problems that this caused, Hannah now realizes a very important truth. Now catch this. Children are not just for parents, they're also for the Lord. Do we get that? The Lord gave, has given me seven children. Seven wonderful kids. You really are. But they're not mine. They're on loan. One of them's already left. Now well, she keeps coming back. But the, but the point is, and that's great, bring back the grandkids as well, you know. Uh, but the point is, they're not mine. They're really the Lord's. And see, she saw that. Really what she did is exactly what every one of us has to do. The Lord allows the blessing of a child, but they're His. And all we're doing is for a short time frame trying to pour into their life so that they would follow Him. Right? Isn't that true? It's not about us. Sometimes I think we get way too personal, like family name and stuff. That's important. But when it's all said and done, it's about Him. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and God giving us these children. So nothing we have really belongs to us. And again, that includes our children. We are simply to shepherd them. We are their parents to shepherd. We are managers. There's a stewardship. And if I see it that way, quite honestly, my priorities change. Because if they're my kids and they're going to represent me, then I want them to have prestige and power and finances. And I want them to be able to look good in the eyes of the world because you're reflecting on me. But if they're really the Lord's, the priority then is are they walking with God, saved? Are they walking with God, serving God, focused on God, right? Do you see the difference? One, and and, and we could say, well, the one sounds good, but it can be very child-centered. God-centered is this. They are a gift from God, but they're His. And so I'm going to pour my life into what really matters from God's perspective. 
And that's why it says in verse 12, and she continued praying before the Lord. That's not like some quick popcorn prayer. She was, she was bathing this prayer in tears. Okay. Even though she was misunderstood and all that, and it was so deep that she even lost her appetite. By the way, that's, that's kind of the root of fasting. The idea of fasting is something grips your heart so much that you're willing to give up food. But if, if you're fasting and all you're thinking about is food, then I have found in my life that I don't consider that issue too, too deep then. It should be so deep that I, I don't care about the food. And for her, she just, and I'm not saying she fasted her, I'm just saying she cared about it so deeply she didn't care about the food. Let's look at the third thing. A woman of faith experiences God's provision. God's provision. So she's got problems, but she's a woman of prayer. And now she sees God work. Verse 19, then they arose early. Rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. This is after Eli told her, you're going to have your request done. Okay? Uh, verse 17, let's see here. Let me, verse 17 then said this. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Okay, now I should have given you that transition. Now she goes from sad and, and not even willing to eat, but he says, Yeah, let's, the Lord will give you your petition. And so what did she do in verse 19? Then she, they arose early in the morning, worshiped before the Lord, returned and came to their house, and Elkanah knew had sex with Hannah, his wife, had relations, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Actually, Samuel means name of God, but there's a similar name. It's like a pun where it says, asked of God. So every time she says his name, she's going to remember, asked of God. That's the little one, asked of God. I couldn't have him. See, what was it doing? Constantly drawing her mind back that God was the provider. What to the Lord that we could do that in everything we do? You look, at, you look at your family, asked of God, God provided. Give your own health, asked of God, God provided. God provides your health, God provides your wealth, God provides your, your uh, home, God provides your, your place of wherever you work. God, you know, God provides everything. And so for Hannah, every time she even said his name, come here, Samuel, asked of God. God was the one that provided. By the way, God provided here. Does God always provide like that? Does God always answer yes to your prayers? No. No. It does say in 1 John 5.14 that we have confidence that as we ask according to his will, he gives it. You know, according to his will. But sometimes our prayers are not according to his will. And he says no. James 4 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask for your own pleasure. Sometimes our, our prayers themselves are selfish and sinful because they're just for our own pleasures. But here God answers. God always answers, it just sometimes no. And that, that's what's very difficult when you pour out your heart and it's a no. Look, and, but yet he's more than sufficient, Right? Second, uh, Corinthians says that his grace is, is sufficient. His grace is powerful. That's why we as believers, those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, can say all things work together for good. All things. 
There can be some very difficult things. But again, for Hannah, it was answered. You're going to have a child. She had a child named his name Samuel. Women of faith, number four, excel at keeping their promises. What happens now? Question. I promise. Let's see if she uh, comes through. She intends to keep her promise. Verse 21. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice. By the way, again, yearly being there's three, and at that time of year, every all three, he, he went up. Okay. In other words, he was consistently doing what he was supposed to do uh, as a Jew. Yearly sacrifice. But Hannah did not go up. And she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, around three years old. Then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there. What's the next word? Forever. I'm going to wean him. I've dedicated him to the Lord. I'm going to wean him, and then it's the Lord. He's going to stay with Eli. He's going to stay ministering for the Lord. So she kept her promise. By the way, she dedicated herself to the child. You see that, right? For three years, she's going to... And, and by the way, do you think she's just feeding him and changing his diaper? I believe she is, and you'll see this in a moment, pouring herself, her godly life into that child. But notice also, she also dedicated her child to the Lord. See, you can dedicate yourself to your child and become a very child-centered parent. But if you dedicate your child to the Lord, you're going to pour yourself into that child, but it's his, that child is his. So rather than a, a child-centered parent, you have a God-centered parent, okay? Because it's, it's his. It's his child. And she carried it out. Look at verse 24. Therefore I also, I think it's 28, Therefore I also have lent or given him to the Lord as long as he lives. He shall be lent to the Lord. Lent in the sense of... Um, I asked, he gave, I'm giving him back because he says uh, Samuel is, is the Lord's. And, he, and, I, and it's funny that she actually repeats it, okay? I've lent him, I've lent him. Why? It's almost like he, she is solidifying in her heart, this is what has to be done. Again, have you ever made a promise to God and not kept it? If at all possible, keep it. I say if all, because sometimes we make promises that are sinful. But if it's something that needs to be kept, keep it. And she does. She's a woman of faith. And she fulfills her responsibility. But look at, look at the last part of 28. So they, and I think that they is not only Elkanah, but Samuel himself. He's only three years old, but look at, they worshiped the Lord there. I think it was all three were worshiping the Lord there. I think this young boy with Hannah had enough, even at three years old, enough to know worship the Lord. Because look at chapter 2, verse 11. She, she, um, she does her praises from 1 to 10 and then says, But the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. It was almost like he hit the ground running. Even at three years old, he knew enough to worship, to praise, to serve the Lord. I, I don't think I'm reading too much into this. She poured herself into that child and he was ready to serve, even at a very, very young age. And again, not much at a three-year-old, I mean, right? But... It's really neat when you see even a three, three and a half, close to four, be able to start tell you passages or tell you a concept that is honoring to God. So she holds to her vow. By the way, where do you think he learned how to worship? Again, her. Not. It doesn't really. Elkanah. I don't want to give 
like put him off, but I think it was really coming from Hannah. You see a lot of godly women, you know, throughout uh, not only the scripture, but also even uh, people from our own history. I think of Susanna Wesley. It says, it is said of her that she spent one hour each day praying for 17 children. She had 17. And I, I would say, how do you even have any time to pray with 17 children? In addition, she took each child aside for a full hour each week to discuss spiritual matters. It's no wonder that two of her sons, Charles and John, were used mightily in both England and America as far as the Great Awakening. Okay? She's one of the classic examples. By the way, I did not read Susanna Wesley's little to get you guilty. Okay? The idea is this. Who has God blessed you with? in your family? Are you pouring your life as far as from a spiritual point of view into their life? We should be encouraged, not discouraged. But this is one thing she said. Of each of her children, she said this, teach him to pray as soon as he can speak. That was her motto. Lord, as soon as they can speak, let it be prayers. Let them have their eyes focused on you. I recently came across a true story that happened during the Holocaust. Solomon Rosenberg... His wife and two sons were arrested and placed in a concentration camp. The rules were simple. As long as they did their work, they were permitted to live. When they became too weak to work, they would be exterminated. Rosenberg watched as their own father and mother were marched off to the death camps. And he knew that his youngest son, David, would soon be next because he was a frail child. Every evening, Rosenberg came back into the barracks after his hours of hard work and search for the faces of his family. When they found them, they would huddle together, embrace one another, and thank God for another day of life. One day he came back and didn't see those familiar faces. He finally discovered his oldest son, Joshua, in a corner, sobbing and praying. Josh, tell me it's not true. Joshua turned to his dad and said, it's true. Today David was not strong enough to do his work, and so they took him away. Mr. Rosenberg then asked, but where is your mother? Joshua couldn't barely, could, could barely speak and finally uttered. When they came for David, he was afraid and cried. So mom took his hand and went with him. You know, I, I look at that type of sacrifice as it pertains to Hannah. And yet it was almost a reverse order. She wanted to sacrifice so bad, not only for her son but for the Lord that she was willing to give him to service to God. Isn't that a great sacrifice? That's a great sacrifice. And yet, Samuel was one of the greatest of prophets. He led Israel in their first revival. He drove the Philistines back into their territory. He reestablished worship to Jehovah in Israel and actually anointed King David. So, I mean, he was a great man of God. A great man of God. And he had a very sacrificial mother. Finally, women of faith explode with praise. What would you do at verse 28? I kept thinking about it. What would I do at verse 28? I give him to the Lord. Would I walk away depressed? Would I walk away angry? Would I walk away distraught or bitter? What would I do? What would you do as a mother? He's young. He, you're not going to be seeing him only at the times when you go up for the, 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 the festivals. And yet it says this, And Hannah prayed and said. So look at, look at the sequence. 
remember, number or uh, chapter divisions aren't in Scripture. I mean, they're not inspired. It says it this way. So they worshiped the Lord there. Hannah prayed. Why? Because she needed strength. And then she said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like God, you know, like our God. And just says praising. A woman of faith explodes with praise. You would have expected actually something different. I mean, it's there, and it continues on to verse, the end of verse 10. But this is her praise to the Lord. See, what is the Lord calling you to do? Sometimes the gift becomes the object, and when the gift is taken from us, then we get angry. But for her, she overlooked the gift and gave praise to the giver. And that's how we have to do. Is the gift being taken from you? Maybe some of you are going through a very hard time. And it's the gift that God has given, but now God says, no, and now, you know, you're only a steward, you're only a manager. I've been recently realizing how much God has been working in my life on idolatry. And you say, what do you mean idolatry? And just things that I, 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 I grab too close, things that I think I have to have that are my rights. And I, I realized something that when I get angry, I always said anger points towards idolatry, but a worry does too. The things we get angry about when we don't have and the things that we worry about and anxious about many times, many times, not all the time, many times point to idolatry. You don't see that with her. She goes from giving to focusing on the giver. And her focus is not on the gift, it's on the giver. And as long as your focus is on the giver who gave it in the first place, then we can praise him. But if your eyes get off the giver and get back on the gift, then, then she would be worried and anxious and frustrated and all those other things. But not her. She, she stayed focused because she was a woman of faith. Are you a woman of faith? Are you a man of faith? What can we learn? I would say this. One, you are, a great, you are of great worth in God's sight. And whether or not you have children or not, remember, God is more concerned with who you are than what you have. Okay? But the other thing is this. As you look at her life, what did she do? She dedicated her life to preparing a child, and again, a very short time, but her point was, I'm seeking to do this to honor and glorify the giver. And not just keep hold of the gift. We keep hold of the gift too long. In fact, sometimes I think our children want to fly for God and we hold them back. No, you can't go there. What if we're holding on to the gift, not praising the giver? And look at what he did. Verse 11. The child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. And that word minister is, in, again, the intensive. He hit the ground running. He did it with his whole heart. You're saying he's only three, three and a half, four. But it goes back to the godly mother that he had. He did it with all his heart. I trust that you will be encouraged today. I trust that you'll have a great Mother's Day. I know some of you are right in the midst of it. You have little kids at home. That's hard, isn't it? You remember those days, some of you? Constantly wiping noses, dealing. I mean, just like they're so depending, depending on us. I got one last little, uh, just a little poem. I, and hopefully this says, you know what, slow down and, and, and really enjoy the day. Slow down and really enjoy your kids. Enjoy your family. Enjoy, and, and, and you say, but my mother's gone. I, but 
who do you have that God has given that you can enjoy? Okay? And don't get so rushed in the process that we just forget the blessing that God is one who's given us good. Right? It's called a small handprint on the wall. One day as I was picking the toys up off the floor, I noticed a small handprint on the wall beside the door. I knew that it was something that I'd seen most every day, but this time when I saw it, I wanted it to stay. Then tears welled up inside my eyes. I knew it wouldn't last, for every mother knows her children grow up way too fast. Just then I put my chores aside and held my children tight. I sang to them sweet lullabies and rocked them into the night. Sometimes we take for granted all those things that seem so small, like one of God's great treasures, a small handprint on the wall. Yeah, I, I would love to have that. You know, I, I look back and I think sometimes I ran so fast, I didn't enjoy my kids when they were there. So, again, if you're young and you have children, enjoy them. Because will you agree with me, older folk, that they grow up very, very quickly? They do. So enjoy them today. Let's stand as we close in prayer. A faith, but she had problems. Thank you that, what a great example to us, whether a man or a woman, that she went to prayer. It was difficult, but she kept you as her focus. Lord, help us to keep you as our focus. We don't know what the next day may bring. Some of us are going through some very hard times now. Some of us will in the near future. But during those hard times, during those trials... We know James says that they are put there so that we might mature. May they not turn into temptations that cause us to sin. May we reach out to you through prayer and keep our eyes focused on you. Father, again, we thank you for the outcome of Samuel's life, that he served you consistently. And Lord, we pray a a special blessing on our children and the teens of this church, of our children that we have sought to raise. Many of them are walking with you, some are not. But Lord, help us as parents to reach out even to them and to encourage them along the way, even if they're out of our home. Father, help us to have influence and impact on our kids. And Father, I pray for the children and we who have mothers still living. May we be a blessing to them even today. That we'd call them and encourage them Tell them how much they mean to us. Lord, please give us the grace to be the type of people we need to be for others. In Jesus' name, amen.